Bible with you. We'll be looking at John chapter 6 this week. Starting in verse 22. So I say to you, hear the word of the Lord. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would come and again and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that for those here who are, are experiencing longing, those who are here who, who feel hungry in their souls, that they would leave today satisfied because they have received Jesus, the bread of life. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. And amen. Well, we're a little bit out of order, and because of, of current events, we're going to. I planned originally at this year to just go through the whole book of John. Clearly, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, what I'm going to do is b- between now and the end of June, I'm going to cover the rest of the I Ams of Jesus. And this one does come naturally after where we have been. And the, the question. I was thinking this morning, like, how do I form this into a question? And, and I had trouble because it, it's like, if you think, every family has traditions that to other families seem wacky. You know what I mean? Or, or ethnic traditions that, that maybe, maybe you're Korean and you do things and you invite your Anglo friends over and they're like, hmm. Or in my case, most people are, are surprised to find out that, that my, on one hand, I'm Scottish, rich people go, yeah, okay, that, I could see that. On the other half, I'm Serbian. I grew up with an ethnic Serbian family. My cousins are, are much taller than me, and they shave twice a day. They're swarthy, black-haired men. And it's like, <laughs> so I don't really look like them, but I am from among them. And one of the traditions that we had growing up that, was, that I'll never forget was this tradition at Christmas of my grandmother making Serbian money bread. Now what Serbian money bread is, how, what Serbian money bread is supposed to be, is the grandma, the bubba, 
makes a big loaf of bread and she puts one silver dollar somewhere in that loaf of bread. The loaf of bread is then put on the table and all the children gather around and at some point they say go and the children just go, you know, jump on the bread like a pack of hyenas and everyone grabs the bread and they hope to get that one silver dollar. Well, my grandmother, she's a little extra, she was, she didn't put one silver dollar in the Serbian money bread. She put like rolls of quarters, I mean it was like the bread, it was like 50 pound loaf of bread. And when you grabbed the bread, it was just green because it was just full of money. It was full of change. And we could not wait for Christmas because you knew that every kid was going to get some money. And so you tear into that. And what was always interesting to me is the aftermath. The aftermath was just this disgusting green bread all over the table because the only thing we wanted was what was in the bread. We only wanted what the bread could do for us. We actually didn't want the bread. We didn't care about the bread. We just wanted what the bread could do for us. And when you consider today's text, that's exactly what Jesus is dealing with today. These people want bread, and they want what the bread can do for them, and they don't really realize who the bread is, that the bread is a person, and that the bread is is actually to be desirable uh, in and of itself. So we're going to look at three things today as we consider this passage about Jesus being the bread of life. Basically, the three things we're going to look at is a question of works. We're going to look at the giver of bread, and then finally we're going to consider the bread of life, Jesus. So right, the question of works, the giver of bread, and the bread of life. Now before we jump into the, to the points, you, we have to build some context here. If you remember, <clears throat> Brandon preached about three weeks ago, Brandon Sanders, and he preached on Jesus feeding the 5,000. And at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, on verse 14 of chapter 6, it says this. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed, the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So the the feeding of the 5,000 has happened, and the people recognize it as a miracle. They recognize it as a sign. And in fact, they say, this is the prophet. Now, if you remember back from the beginning of John, there were three different sort of strands of Jewish expectation. Some were expected Messiah, some expected Elijah to come, and some expected a prophet like Moses. And when that prophet like Moses came, he would give them bread. And this guy came, and he gave them bread, and so they said, this is the prophet. We, then they planned, apparently, to take him and just force him to be king, to just take him on their shoulders to Herod and say, this guy's the king, not you. And Jesus, that wouldn't have accomplished his purposes, so he sort of snuck away. And so in the night, while, they, while Jesus was, had snuck away, the disciples had gotten into boats. Jesus told them to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to Capernaum. He would meet them there. And, if, and then in the middle of the night, and the people see the disciples going. They don't know where Jesus is. And they wake up in the morning, and Jesus is now on the other side. And they don't, they don't know what is How did Jesus get over there? Well, we know Jesus got over there because he walked. He didn't walk around the lake. He walked across the lake on water. And so the people show up, and they're curious about that. They go looking for Jesus. They get into boats. They go to the other side of the, the lake. And the first thing they ask Jesus basically is, how would you get here? Like, we didn't see you leave. What's going on here? That's where we pick up on this question of works. And so if you look at verse um, 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So they, they find Jesus, and they say, How'd you get here? And Jesus, in typical fashion, he doesn't answer the question they're, they're asking. He answers the question they, they need to have asked or that they should have asked. And he points out something. And he begins by saying, truly, truly, or amen, amen. Anytime you hear Jesus say amen twice, that means he's speaking authoritatively, that, that he doesn't care what anyone else thinks. Usually in, in synagogue, the rabbi would say amen, and the people would say amen. Jesus just always says amen, amen. Like, I don't need your affirmation of what I'm about to say. I'm just saying it. And so he says to them, amen, amen. I say to you, you're seeking me, not, you, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And you basically, and you want more. That, in other words, he's saying the, you, you came here, not because you saw this miraculous sign. You thought, this is Messiah. We need to pursue him. We need to follow him. You, you're pursuing me because you ate your fill of the loaves and you just want some more. You're, you're coming to me not because of who I am. You're coming to me because of what I can do for you. That, that the only reason you want me is you want me to give you more bread so that you don't have to, to work for it. And Jesus answers the, what, they, what in fact they do need to be doing. He says, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you for on him. God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus does something interesting. He's on one hand, he says, do, be doing work for food that, that is eternal. Work for food that, that will get you into the age to come, food that will satisfy you completely. And what is this food? It's the food that actually that God gives. He says that this is the food which the Son of Man will give you. That this food that God gives, on one hand, he says, work for it. On the other hand, he says, God will give it to you. Well, which is it? Right? Are, are these works important? And what we're going to find out as you go through the Gospel of John, that really John, more than any other Gospel, is all about grace and this sort of doctrine of grace. I, I remember I was, when I was in college, I became, the way I became Presbyterian is... I became a Christian, went in the army, I didn't know a Baptist from a Catholic, and I got, went to a Baptist church when I was in college with a great preacher, and he was preaching through the Gospel of John, and he would get to places like this, and he would read verses like 44 later on in the passage, which says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. And he would say, now I'm a Baptist, that sounds pretty Presbyterian in theology right there that God does all the work, that God initiates, that God elects some people. Well, I started asking a lot of questions, and they took me out to lunch one day, and they said, Tommy, we think you might be called to ministry. However, you have no future as a Baptist. And so <laughs> they, they sent me down to the Presbyterian church down the street, and here I am. But that came from the Gospel of John. This, this gospel that's all about evangelism, it's also about the fact that God is the one who comes after us. And Jesus says, do, do, the, the work you need to be doing is pursuing food, the food that lasts to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And he says, on him the Father has set his seal. In, in other words, the, 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 God, the Father completely approves of the Son. And so if the Son gives you something, you, that means it's, it's worthwhile. That means God approves of it as well. And so they ask a good question here. 
They say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, the answer they get, I don't think they were expecting, and it's not the answer that most of us would expect either. Because they say, well, what must we be doing to be doing these works of God? What would you expect him to say? Well, be a good person, obey the Ten Commandments, read the Bible all the time, don't skip your quiet times, don't get cross with your children, don't argue with your wife, don't watch the wrong kind of movies, blah, 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 blah. Is that what Jesus says? No, he doesn't say that. What Jesus says and said is this. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Period. That's it. What, are the, what is the work of God that he expects of you? That you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, it's important because Jesus says that you believe in him. In the very next sentence, he said, well, why should we believe you? In other words, the in isn't there. What's the difference between believing in something and just believing something? And I try to come up with a sort of thought experiment about this. Imagine... Imagine you're a grandparent, and you have a you have a little son, a grandson. His, we'll call him Little Johnny. And Little Johnny comes up to you and says, "Grandpa, someday I'm going to be an airborne ranger." Now think about how the difference between the two responses are. Yeah, Little Johnny, I believe you. What is that communicating to him? Okay, okay you, you told me the truth. I guess we'll see if it happens. But if you say to Little Johnny, Little Johnny, I believe in you. What are you saying then? There you're saying, I believe that you actually have the ability to accomplish what you said you were going to set out to do. And when Jesus says the work of God is to believe in him whom he has sent, what he's saying is what it means is to have faith in the one whom he has sent, that he is able to accomplish what he was sent to do. And what was he sent to do? He was sent to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we should have died, and to be raised again on the third day. That's what it means to believe in Jesus, to have faith in him. That is the definition of faith. Remember Romans chapter 4, it says that Abraham believed God was able to do what he promised he would do. That's what it means to believe in something rather than to just believe something. To believe something is facts. I believe that 2 plus 2 is 4. I don't believe in 2 plus 2 is 4 because there's nothing there to believe into. You believe in people, generally speaking. So he tells them that. That's what faith is. How do the people respond? The people don't respond by saying, oh, awesome, we'll follow you. <laughs> Instead, they say, verse 30, we, we move into this about the giver of bread. They say, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, think about how crazy this is. They, they have come across the Sea of Galilee to follow him because they saw him do this great sign of providing bread. Jesus says, you need to believe in me, and then they immediately come back with, what sign are you going to do then? Prove it. Like, prove that you're, you're followable, right? Show us. In other words, and, and the, what they tell him here, they're basically asking him, can you outperform Moses? Can you do better than that? And what's interesting here is that they quote Nehemiah chapter 9. 
right? Did you notice it says, they say, quote, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them the bread of heaven to eat. So they, they quote Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15, but they conveniently don't quote verse 16, 17, 18, and 19. Let me read that to you in context. In verse 15, of Nehemiah, it says, You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water out for them of the rock for their thirst, and you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Verse 16, But they and our fathers acted presumptuously, and they stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to slavery in Egypt, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them, even when they made a calf for themselves. This is, and said, this is your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. So on one hand, they're asking, they're telling Jesus, you know, God gave us bread in the wilderness like can you do better than that and what they are forgetful of apparently that the, even the bread in the wilderness was not about just some miracle for God proving who he was but it was actually an, an outworking of his great mercy it was an outworking of his great loving kindness in spite of the fact that they were disobedient in spite of the fact that they were stiff-necked in spite of the fact that all they did was complain you see we tend to make the, the gospel about just what, can, what do we need to do to please God? What do we need to do? And the, the answer is you can do nothing to please God. The good news of the gospel is that in spite of our sin, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not, it's, it's not we be good and then God will do, do us a solid in return. The fact is, is that you and I are more broken than you can ever imagine. You know, I, I was hearing sound clips this week of different people, and a, and a sound clip of, of Jordan Peterson came up, and he said that the, the reason that, people, that we have marriage in our society, I don't even think he's a Christian, is he says because if, if you're not shackled to another person and you find out the truth about them, you would run away. In other words, he said anyone who knows, knew the truth about you and didn't run away would be crazy. And you know what? I think that's true. The Bible teaches that. And yet Jesus says over and over again, that's not what it's about. Jesus came to live our life and to die our death. And these people are asking him for more sign. And Jesus says, instead, what you need to do, that, that, that Moses isn't the one who gave you bread in the wilderness. God is the one who gave you bread in the wilderness. And he actually brings it into the present tense. He says, Moses gave you bread, or God gave you bread through Moses, but now God gives you bread. And that bread now is a person. And I wonder if they didn't catch that with their ears because he said, for the bread in verse 33 of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That Jesus tells them flat out, the bread is now a person. It's not just this physical bread. And this bread that comes down gives life to the world. Now what is the response to that? The response to that is similar to the response of Nicodemus when Jesus said born again. It's similar to the response of the woman at the well as they take him very literally. Remember the woman at the well said, oh, give me some of that water to drink. Nicodemus said, how can I be born again from my mother's womb? How can I do that again? Jesus says the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and they say what? And they learn finally about the bread of life. In verse 34, they said to him, 
Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. So, do you think they were surprised at that? Jesus continues, by the way. He says, Jesus actually is sort of cynical. He sounds sort of cynical. The very next thing he says, but I said that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And he keeps going like that. And that's why he says, but on the other hand, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the one who, if you come to me, you will never hunger and you will never thirst. And I, I don't think he's talking about physically here. He's talking about spiritually, emotionally. And if you look out around us, a lot, you, one of the ways, one of the lenses through which you can look at the world is to see that most people around us, including a lot of people in the church, are just starving. They're just starving to death. They're starving to death for approval. They're starving to death for affirmation. They're, they're starving to death. You know, a lot of like, you know, I don't do a lot of marriage counseling. I tend to be, people call me a civil war surgeon in those situations. I tend to cut straight to the chase. But the fact is, is a lot of problems in marriage is because one or the other or both spouses are looking to the other spouse for something that only Jesus can give them. We look to broken people to give us something that only an unbroken person can give to us. We look to, to broken people who themselves are looking for affirmation and themselves are looking to, to be for all this approval and to, to approve us. I mean, in some ways, that's the definition of social media. Right? People are, are becoming mentally ill because they're looking for all this approval on social media, whether it's likes or whether it's it, whatever it is, and they don't get it. And what happens? Well, then you're, you're crestfallen. Jesus has come unto me. Come unto me and I will give you that. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be satisfied? Don't you want to be filled? Jesus says he will do it. I mean, the gospel says that, that we are completely and utterly loved and accepted in Jesus. That all the approval we need, all the affirmation we need comes to us. When we hear that, that if you have trusted Jesus, by the way, when you get to heaven, you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, because what you will be hearing God speak to is the record of Jesus, not your record. The record of Jesus is the one that, that shields you from everything. The record of Jesus is the one that we wear about us all the time. I'll close with this. One of my favorite stories, I'm, I became a grandfather recently, I'm going to become a grandfather again, and so I have in my mind all these books that, that need to be read to my grandchildren. Like, because their parents certainly will fail them. So I need to step in. <clears throat> and one of them is The Adventures of Raggedy Ann and Andy. With The Adventures of Raggedy Ann and Andy, especially the first chapter. The first chapter of the lessons of The Adventures of Raggedy Ann and Andy is entitled Raggedy Ann Learns a Lesson. And I've used this story before over the years. Right? Raggedy Ann learned, what is the lesson that Raggedy Ann learns? Well, Marcella is the little girl that owns Raggedy Ann and all the other toys. And as we know from Toy Story, they probably ripped it off from Raggedy Ann, by the way, that when Marcella leaves the room, the toys come to life. And they talk and they do things. And, and Raggedy Ann learns a lesson. Marcella leaves for the day. And the toys decide that they're hungry, and so they go to the pantry, and they get out all the food and all the jam and everything, and they get it all over themselves, and they're disgusted, and Marcella comes home, and of course, they have to just lay there. And she finds all of her dolls and toys 
disgusting and covered with jam. And she doesn't know what happened. But she doesn't say a word. Instead, what she does is she takes them out and she washes them. I think, if I remember correctly, it says this line, she washes them whiter than snow. And she takes them and sets them at a great table and sets before them all manner of food and drink and everything. And she sets this out and she walks away. And as soon as she walks away, Raggedy Ann surveys this great feast and everything in front of her and says to the other toys, I think Marcella is trying to teach us a lesson. That's it. What is the lesson? The lesson is we don't have to scramble and scratch for jam when Marcella will give us everything we ever wanted. That she wants to give us everything. And that's the message of the gospel. You and I scratch and claw for every little thing in our lives and the bottom line, Jesus wants to give us everything. He wants to give us everything. And the, and the lesson we need to learn, is we're going to learn today even from this table. That at the Lord's table we see that Jesus has given himself as bread. He has given his blood as wine in order that we might be fulfilled and satisfied forever. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that we would come to Jesus um, not only as the light of the world, not only as the gate, not only as the, the, the good shepherd, but in, especially even as the bread, the one who satisfies every longing of our soul. In his name we pray these things. Amen. And amen.